0: Hi, this is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, and I'm here with a Slate spoiler special podcast on Martin Scorsese's The Departed. I'm here with Amy Barrett, who's a director and a screenwriter herself. Hi, Amy. Hi, Dana. And uh, we had the pleasure of seeing The Departed together the other night, so we have um, a lot of things to talk about, Amy. As I remember, we both burst out of the movie, both extremely energized and galvanized by its spark and its forward force and all the good things about it, but also bubbling over with questions. Yes, I, I think it's the most
1: exciting Scorsese film I've seen in a while the energy, the quick story pace of storytelling, um, the explosive music, and, and the gorgeous shots of bloody people, they, um, <laughs> they, they remind me a lot of um, Goodfellas, which is one of my favorite movies by Scorsese. So it was an exciting movie to see because he's not um, doing a sluggish Hollywood paint by numbers.
0: Yeah, you really have the feeling that Scorsese's not holding anything back in this one. You know, that doesn't mean that he does everything right, but he seems to be kind of going no-holds-barred at whatever it is that he's trying to do. I think we had some questions about what exactly it is that he's trying to do, though, and some of them that maybe we could touch on have to do with the tone of the movie, which seems to radically shift between this very bleak nihilism and then a sort of of jokey, satirical tone. You do want to talk about any moments that... Yeah,
1: there were moments at the end, especially when Leonardo DiCaprio's character is shot in the elevator with Matt Damon, happened so quickly and it was such a shock because you think that he's actually going to bring Matt Damon's character to the police and that he's going to finally be able to have his identity back and get the girl. But when that doesn't happen, it's shocking, but even more shocking is that Scorsese doesn't even hold the, a shot on his dead body, or doesn't even take uh, time to, to let the audience comprehend this sudden death of one of the main characters who we've been rooting for. So it felt like a real step towards nihilism and a statement about the world that they're all living in, about how little life is valued. But it seems like Scorsese is taking that stance himself in the narrative by not pausing at all for any of the characters' death but just moving on at a fast clip as if to say, well, of course he got shot in the head suddenly because that's the kind of world I'm showing you.
0: Right, as if in that moment Scorsese or the narrative becomes complicit with the the nihilism of the Costello gang itself. Exactly, and that was very shocking because Even in Goodfellas and other movies where there's a lot
1: of violence, we're meant to feel the toll of that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was saying coming out of the movie that his death, which we're free to talk about in this spoiler special, is quite a shocking twist in the movie. You really can't believe that Leonardo DiCaprio not only gets it, but doesn't even get it in a sort of climactic, bloody Sam Peckinpah moment of glory or anything like that, that he's just sort of nonchalantly shot in an elevator the elevator door closes on his head, and then several other minor characters are shot in the same scene afterwards. It's not even sort of the climax or the end of that scene. So it's a really unusual way of filming a death. Definitely, and Matt Damon's character, who has been trying to find out who Leonardo
1: DiCaprio is, who the mole is, the whole movie, now knows who he is and has almost been caught by him. And he doesn't even take a moment to enjoy the fact that his rival has been killed and that he now is relatively safe. It really is shocking that there's no moment like that. It makes you sort of focus on how bloodthirsty everybody is as opposed to what's motivating them to kill everybody.
0: But I think you and I both would agree that that in itself wouldn't necessarily be a flaw in the film. It would just be that it was a film about ruthlessness and about nihilism, except that there are these strange tone shifts where suddenly we seem to be in a different world that's sort of a light, jokey, satirical world or, or black comedy. And those usually have to do with Jack Nicholson's character, who's this incredibly over-the-top gangster who essentially looks and sounds exactly like Jack Nicholson the entire time. You wouldn't really call it a performance in a way, as much as just a sort of act of being Jack Nicholson. I know. He
1: starts out actually really sort of contained and act, and actually very frightening in the beginning. And then his performance gets more and more Jack Nicholson-esque and out of control as we sort of watch him unravel a bit. But I felt like the wittiness of the, of the movie was really enjoyable. It's so nice to go to a movie where there's really witty banter, like hawks-like banter, back and forth. The fast pace of the dialogue and and the banter was a pleasure. I don't think I've been to a movie theater in a while and heard people laughing out loud at something that wasn't Akin to, um, to toilet humor.
0: <laughs> yeah, know, and people really... are really laughing, sort of line by line. And it is in a, almost a Howard Hawks kind of way, where you're waiting for the next snappy comeback that's going to make you laugh yet again. It's like but his Girl Friday or something. These
1: these cops going back and
0: forth. Absolutely. At each other and
1: enjoying it too. Well, the
0: vision of the workplace is sort of Hawks-like in terms of you know the charming banter flying, but also the very high ethical stakes of everything that's happening. And it's it's those are very pleasurable scenes to watch. But what about, for example, the movie ends on a joke. What do you think about the humor? whatever you want to call it of the final shot of the rat and if you've seen the movie you'll remember this very clearly it's a, it's a funny and yet very bizarre way to end the movie that after Matt Damon's character is finally killed Right, and um, Mark Wahlberg has ruthlessly assassinated him in the final shot. You see his body lying on the ground, you see these donuts or something that he's dropped on the floor, blood all over the floor, and then a little rat runs across the the railing of his balcony outside, and the whole audience broke up. And it is a funny shot, but to me it really left me with a queasy feeling about the sort of morality of the whole movie.
1: I, I, I totally agree with you, Dana, because it makes the final moment a joke, and I felt a little tricked because I had really gotten involved with these characters and really was rooting for Leonardo DiCaprio. And I thought, well, when he was shot, well, um, you know, shame on me. I I need to not depend on certain narrative conventions and go along with what Scorsese is doing. But when I saw the rat, I felt like he was saying, "Ha ha." it's all a joke you know we're they're all rats
0: yeah it, it seems that it doesn't really have much to do with you know a tone that the movies worked very very hard to achieve it feels more like some moments in Jack Nicholson's performance which to me seemed like they must have more come from Nicholson than Scorsese i know i remember reading that the scene where he flashes a dildo in the pornographic theater, where he's going to visit Matt Damon, um, was a bit of business that Nicholson created. And I actually think, although it's really funny, that it does kind of take you out of the movie and just sort of makes you realize how fun it would be to be friends with Jack Nicholson <laughs> in real life. It's true. But obviously the rat at the end can't come from Jack Nicholson. That was the screenwriter's choice and Scorsese's choice, and a very deliberate and important choice, what you do for the very last shot of the movie. So I, don't, I wonder why more, more people haven't reacted negatively to the rat. I don't want to leave that behind, but there's just two plot holes that I want to make sure we cover. One of them has to do with Vera Farmiga, the love interest who winds up moving in with Matt Damon's character and also having this sort of um, clandestine affair with Leonardo's character. I think that we both felt that there was a big red herring dropped in terms of the lack of closure to the love story between Matt Damon and and the woman, Vera Farmiga. Can you talk about that? Oh, absolutely. I was um, shocked that Matt Damon let her
1: walk away knowing what she knew about him. He'd been so ruthless to everybody he'd met. And when they had found out anything about him or ceased to be useful to him, he had shot them. And so I couldn't believe just in the reality of that film, that he would let her walk away, knowing that he, what he had done, and even that she was carrying his baby, I thought that would have been another sort of cold-hearted thing he would have done, which was go find the woman who had was carrying his child, but knew too much about
0: him and kill her. So I sort of thought that was the ult, the next step. Um, well, were you disappointed? I mean, I agree that a confrontation of some kind was clearly in the works between. Vera Farmiga and Matt Damon, the boyfriend and girlfriend, about about the fact that he was this organized criminal and she was slowly finding out about it. But do you actually think that Vera Farmiga should have died? Do you think it no, would have been I a better have movie have if she had died? I
1: thought it would be really... I thought what would also happen was that she had this envelope from Leonardo DiCaprio's character and I thought she would be the one who would go to the police and try to set
0: things right. Yeah, I guess in a way, I mean, she's such a sharp character and an unusually sort of um, hard-boiled and sort of on-the-ball female character. Not at all, you know, the sort of um, mushy love interest who has nothing to do with the the plot. She's even a police shrink, so she actually works for the Boston Police Department and seems almost ethically obligated to go to them with what she knows, even if it's very vague and it's just a sense that there might be something fishy about her boyfriend. That's a great
1: point, that she does work for the police department and that it is her job, you know,
0: I would think to report anything like that makes it even more unbelievable. One more um, big plot hole, which I think we both thought was the biggest that we should definitely discuss is the why doesn't he just question. I mean, when it comes to plot holes, I think there's always one question you can ask in a thriller, if it's not a perfect thriller, where you say, why don't they just dot dot dot, and you can come up with a better solution to the predicament they're in than the characters themselves can find. So our why doesn't he just question, I believe, had to do with Leonardo DiCaprio's me means of outing Matt Damon as a spy at the end. Right, it was maddening that he decided to meet Matt Damon on the roof
1: of the building that Martin Sheen's character had been thrown off and that he decided to sort of do it alone and um, try to take Matt Damon down. Why didn't he just go to the police? After everything he knew about the corruption and Matt Damon's really ruthless nature, it would have seemed that he... Should have found Mark Wahlberg's character and gone to the police, and that's sort of the most obvious. Why not? Uh, yeah. Why uh, doesn't at the he just find?
0: Why doesn't he find Mark Wahlberg earlier? I mean, the movie's at great pains to convince us that his existence, Leonardo DiCaprio's character's existence, has been entirely erased from the uh, the bowels of the police system. It's not in the computer. It's nowhere. He was a top secret informer anyway, so no one knows he exists. And after Matt Damon erases his name from the computer, nobody will believe his story. But we have an obvious exception to that rule is screaming in our brains the whole time, Mark Wahlberg, Marky Mark, go and find him and he'll save the day. And it takes the movie so long to get around to it. And Wahlberg does eventually save the day, but it's too late to save DiCaprio. Right, right. I think that they want us to believe
1: that because he's on a leave of absence, he's somehow unfindable, which we, of course, don't believe because we've watched these guys, you know, track people down through cell phone use and, um, you know. Right,
0: I hardly think a leave of absence is going to really cloak his identity to the extent that these guys can't find him. Yeah. Well, I think that we need to wrap this up because um, we could talk all night about The Departed, but would you say that you recommend the movie in spite of all this? Definitely. I, I was saying to my husband
1: that he should go see it immediately. I think it's a fun movie, even though it's gruesome
0: and it's a great thriller. And as a, just quickly, as a film director and screenwriter yourself, are you, were you impressed with the craft of the movie? Did you feel that it was Martin Scorsese at the top of his form, or at least in the top quarter of his form? It, he's definitely sort of the, towards the top half. It's really, it's
1: very slick, but there's some really interesting editing uh, that's done, and I really like the way he sort of used, the, the music comes in at really interesting times, and then fades out and comes back. I thought there was a lot of things that worked and then other things like the, the use of the pinhole Focus. Right. That the first time it was used I thought, Well that's fun. I haven't seen that done in a while. But then the second time it was used I felt like it was just sort of gratuitous and that he was just sort of showing off. But
0: yeah, he can be a little bit of a showy director. I mean for all of his aptitude and his kind of skill at creating moods and he uses music wonderfully, I think. But yeah, at, t- at times I had a little bit of a feeling that it was it was Marty being Marty for the sake of being Marty, you know, a few shots that were that were calling attention to themselves. Yeah,
1: I feel like a stylist of gooey was sort of like a good fellow knockoff and that it makes it fun to watch but that it's not going to be considered one of his greats
0: Hmm. all right well um, thanks a lot for coming in to talk about the movie and for seeing it with me this is dana stevens for slate.com
1: it's time for today's lucky land horoscope with victoria cash life's gotten
0: mundane so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to lucky land you know what they say